Christmas to you. Happy, happy, happy Christmas. Christmas. In it, uh, <laughs> we are releasing this on Christmas Day. So um, stop what you're doing and listen, and then let us know what you think. Uh, we're not going to be releasing one the following Wednesday uh, in lieu of this, but we're talking. We're, we're releasing this on Christmas because we we decided that a Christmas Carol was legit enough for us to talk about in our wide spectrum of possible topics. And it's been a really cool thing to look into, right? Oh, absolutely. We started with looking into the tradition of of ghost stories on Christmas, which was huge Mm -hmm. in the Victorian times uh, and even before Mm -hmm. that. But this kind of revived that tradition for these people. So this is sort of the quintessential Christmas ghost story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It made me think of um, when we talked about Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. That's that's kind of how they started it. Right. They were like away for the holidays and they were like, oh, let's write a ghost story <laughs> in the lodge. I don't know. It was in around the same time, too, roughly. Um, but yeah. So Charles Dickens, the author of A Christmas Carol. What is the official name? Uh in prose, being a ghost story of Christmas. That's the full name. I don't know if you No, I didn't that. because my source um, just said A yeah. Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. That's what everyone calls it now. by LeVar Burton. Right, yeah. Available so, free on Apple. Um, right. Oh, the, the audiobook yeah. is? Yeah. The, the don't you wish you had oh. an Apple device now? Thanks, Mr. Burton. I can get it. I can get it. <laughs> um, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's definitely in the open domain in many ways, uh, as you can tell. So... Well, as you know, uh, on the show, uh, Cammie gives us a story, and then I'll lead a discussion. So that's exactly what's going to happen. Cammie's going to read the entirety of A Christmas Carol, right? Correct. Yeah, the entire 160 the pages of that. Right. And then, not a summary, so, nope, just... Right. No, I condensed so it to your... like two and a half pages. <laughs> right. Which I'll tell you, someone else did back in the uh, 1800s, and they got sued. So, oh, really? Um, well... Can't happen now, dead, though. So... Right, yeah. <laughs> All right, Cammie. Well, um, go ahead and give us that wonderful story, and then we'll have a nice little discussion. <laughs> Absolutely. And Bryant and I have our mulled wine here. Thank you, Bryant. Yes, yeah. I was like, get, so get your mulled wine, your hot, warm German Glühwein, and sit back and enjoy. Okay, like I said, I use the... Uh, I listened to LeVar Burton read it, which was amazing. He, he did such a good job, of course. Absolutely. But... Yeah. Put out by the earlier visit from his nephew, who had the sole purpose of inviting him to a worthless Christmas dinner, Ebenezer Scrooge braved the bitter winter chill of Christmas Eve and walked the long blocks to a stately yet derelict abode. Christmas dinner? Bah, humbug, he said as he reached his own door knocker. But as he fumbled in his pocket for his keys, the knocker began to glow and came to life in the likeness of his old business partner, the very dead Jacob Marley. Scrooge stumbled back and almost fell down his front stoop from the shock, but as he stood up, the door knocker had returned to its normal hue and was the face of a gargoyle again. Scrooge hurried inside and fixed himself dinner. As he walked up his stairs, the tiredness hit him, for he saw the likeness of a hearse drawn by two horses riding his staircase. He ran to his room to find the great din of dragging metal, and then appeared Jacob Marley, shackled to several weights with long, heavy chains. The apparition spoke. 
Ebenezer Scrooge, chained as I am to these weights with the links I have forged these seven years dead, you will be twice cursed, for your chains would have been this long seven years ago. Scrooge could not believe he was in the presence of a ghost of his long-dead friend, but he pressed on in case it was true. How can I avoid your fate? Ebenezer, tonight, when the clock strikes one, you will have the first of three visitors who will show you the way. You must change your life before it's too late. The ghost disappeared just as quickly and as noisily as he had come. Scrooge decided that he must be tired and put himself to bed, but he could not sleep. He watched the clock as it turned each hour until it struck 1 a.m., and a little glow appeared around the room, and a soft voice spoke. Ebenezer Scrooge, I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? Scrooge asked. Your past, the ghost replied. And just then, the room around them started to disappear. They found themselves traveling along a path long forgotten but familiar to Scrooge. He recognized the way to his old schoolhouse, and there Scrooge was, just a boy, as he watched the other children as the other children left for the holidays with their families, while he stayed behind. Then the ghost whisked him through to another Christmas, where he was seen sitting across from a lovely yet sad woman. She was speaking to the younger Scrooge and urging him to give up his idol of money. But he was too greedy by this time to understand what he was about to lose. The woman stood up and walked out of his office, never to return to her husband. The present-day Scrooge formed a tear in his eye, but wiped it quickly and begged the spirit to take him away from this place. Then Scrooge was deposited back in his bed, and he rolled to his side and stared again at the clock. He started to drift into sleep, though it was not restful, and after some time the clock struck loudly and woke Scrooge with a startle. He saw growing in his bedchamber a mound of Christmas cakes and pies and ham and geese and fruits and wine and countless other foods that all looked delicious and filling to the miser who mostly survived on porridge. And on top of this mound of food was a giant, not unlike Bacchus himself, barely clad in a robe and a scabbard around his waist, though he carried no sword. The vision laughed and spoke to Scrooge. I am the ghost of Christmas present. I am to show you the things as they are. Scrooge nodded, and with that the great giant laughed and the room around him began to spin. Scrooge could barely keep his footing, but they landed on a joyous scene. His employee, Bob Cratchit, and his family were just sitting down to dinner. They had a meager meal for the many children that surrounded the table, but every one of them looked especially grateful to be there. Then Scrooge's eyes focused on a boy with a cane who seemed barely able to sit up at the table to eat his meal. The boy, will he make it? Scrooge managed to speak the words, though softly. If the tides do not change, he will not make it to the new year, the ghost said. Scrooge hung his, hat, his head. Just then, he heard his name. Let us make a toast to Mr. Scrooge, who made this meal possible. Bob spoke joyously, but his wife cut him off. I wish Scrooge was here to see this toast. I would give him something else, a piece of my mind to feast upon. Now, dear, it's Christmas. Let us make merry. What does it hurt to raise a glass to him? The wife raised her glass. In the spirit of the season, bless him, but not for his own well-being, but for yours. Everyone raised their glasses and toasted the man, and the scene began to fade as the two spun again to a new destination. Scrooge's nephew was surrounded by men and women making merry at his house. Each one looked full from a delicious meal. Why was your uncle not to come this year? A friend of his nephew asked. Why, he's too good for us, of course, the nephew said. But I feel sorry for him. He knows not what he misses. He probably settled in with porridge at home. 
when he could have had a glorious feast. But who does he hurt when he chooses to ignore us? Only himself. He thinks Christmas is a humbug, but we know it's time for being grateful for your fellow man. Everyone nodded in agreement, and the scene faded again, and Scrooge was back in his room, feeling rather somber. The jolly spirit, now not so jolly. Scrooge, you must change your ways, for when you see what is to come, you will have regrets. Then the piles of food he used as a throne began to disappear, and so he too faded, and Scrooge fell asleep again. He was in the middle of a dreamless sleep when the room began to become so cold, Scrooge shuddered awake. Then the clock struck again, and a very dark, hooded figure floated towards him. Scrooge took his hand, but he was fearful. You must be the ghost of Christmas yet to come. The figure nodded, and then led Scrooge to his grim future. The two saw a group of ne'er-do-wells hovering over a body. Each person discussed what items they would take from the poor departed soul. The figure pointed to the face, which was covered, but Scrooge refused to look. He knew what he was seeing without being shown. At his refusal, the spirit whisked him off to a graveyard, where the headstone read, Ebenezer Scrooge. The man was so frightened at this that he tried to run, but was powerless against the spirit. The headstone stated his death to be December 25th, but Scrooge could not make out the year, and not a soul came to mourn him on Christmas Day. Then the spirit faded, and Scrooge found himself in a fitful sleep, barely able to wake. But when he did awake, he was a changed man. Christmas Day brought a joy in him. It had never brought before. He leapt from his bed and ran to the street, stopping to sing with the carolers as he passed and greeting everyone with Merry Christmas. When he arrived at the butcher, he had them deliver the prized Christmas turkey to the Cratchit household so they would have enough to fill everyone's belly at Christmas. And then he found himself at his nephew's door. He almost turned around without knocking, but his nephew's wife saw him in the street and greeted him heartily and made him sit down for dinner. And so it was from that day forth, Scrooge became a better man. He was like a second father to Tiny Tim, and raised Bob's Cratchit's salary to better provide for his family. He also made his own family a priority, never missing another dinner with them, and it was said, he was said to keep Christmas better than any man. Yay. Yay. All, all I can imagine, so Kyle, one of Kyle's favorite, absolute favorite movies is The Muppet Christmas Carol, so I'm just imagining, like, when, when his Cratchit's wife gets off and him... I'm just thinking Miss Piggy. You know. <laughs> Wait, is that that's who Cratchit's wife is? <clears throat> oh no, that's terrible for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's 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 really great. Uh, that that movie has no business being as good as it is, thanks to Michael Caine. Um, I remember seeing yes. that when I was younger, but I don't think I've watched it since. And I think Candace has a VHS of it, so we'll probably watch it tonight. Yeah, Even she better. loves the Muppets. Even better, yeah. <laughs> Even better, yeah. Uh, it, it is really great, and. Um, it's 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 interesting. I mean, we know the story so well, and it, and it was really fun to dive into this. I've never looked at this uh, in like a scholastic way, you know, and so reading about it was really fun, and and finding the origins. Um, and there was there was there's there's as you can tell, there's tons of Buzzfeedy things you should know about Dickens <laughs> writing this story. But um, and and a lot of it's great. A lot of it was rehashes of other things. But Britannica. And and Wikipedia did a great job of summing it up. Britannica had an article, Why Dickens Wrote a Christmas Carol by J.E. Uh, Lubering. And uh, essentially, so he he was already established at this point, and he was going to an event in 1843 um, intended to ra- raise money for uh, this group called the Athenium, and uh, or Athenaeum. They were kind of like a philanthropic organization for the poor, um, 
for the working poor, I should say. So like think, you know, this is like, we're in the heat of industrialization. Um, I mean, this is when you could be the ripe old when, age when of like 20 to it? die of like cholera. The book was published um, on 18, uh, 1843. So weeks after this, um, weeks after this, uh, cause this was October and, and he released it in December. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so six, he six just weeks after got this a event. Bug just, and just did it, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, he could really see, um, and, and you know, the problem, the, the want and ignorance of the story, that's what, that's what he could see people wanting and people being ignorant. And those are the two things that he saw were basically, you know, feeding the poor. And he, uh, he was, a Dickens was a longtime advocate of workers' rights, children's rights. You know, I, like 1843, this is, this is when it was literally like at its worst for, for yeah, the most part. Uh, Spring Hill Jack was terrorizing everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, in this story, <laughs> no, he's uh, talking, I mean, of course, I had a very summarized version, so it didn't go into this, but yeah. the little kids um, were already being told of where they were going to work at, around the table mm-hmm. at Christmas, so... Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. That was it. Yeah, it, it was just the way it was because if you if you didn't, I mean, there was no schooling, and it, it was the only way to do it. So, um, one thing I really liked in this article, though, and and helped kind of cement why we should talk about it was, um, Britannica n- notes that uh, he he would write several Christmas books, and they were popular in their time, and they they had very similar themes and things like that. But this one, I mean, this immediately hit the stage too, and then um, Dickens did tours of reading it. And and it really they Britannica says it became a modern fairy tale and it truly did, it it, it was wild. It had the same effect of like Chaucer and Shakespeare in an instant, but with like a, a um. I think the big thing with the story is how approachable it is, and how anyone can read it and understand yeah, it. Uh, and Dickens, I think, just does that. Even really well. in that, um, because he does write in his time, so it's it's not as yeah. easy to read as like something else, a novella, right? Novella that would be written now. But it is only 160 yeah. pages, like mm-hmm. kind of average at that, you know, normal size type and all that. So right. it, it is a quick read. And I listened to it yeah. in, I think it was like three and a half hours. Yeah. And uh, Kyle, um, my wife told me that uh, Patrick Stewart, um, who knows LeVar Burton quite well, um, is currently, he just started a TikTok and he is reading it in chunks on TikTok right now. He's performing oh, it wow. on TikTok. Yeah, so, that's um, cool. Yeah, you can totally do it in that micro. It's like people who write, you know, novels on Twitter for some <laughs> reason. But you can do that too. Um, uh, you just you know chunk at a time. Uh, so yeah. Um, so it's six weeks after he went to this event, he he was able to push this thing out, and uh, and it was quite amazing. It was a little tumultuous um, financially at first. So Dickens, funny enough, like uh, he wanted, he he was very particular and involved with the printing process of it and he, he wanted it the it, the book was expensive it was an expensive book to buy the first six thousand copies of course sold out but it like it was kind of ironic that these that it wasn't as approachable and and um uh i went to you know in the um the reception page on wikipedia uh it was it was very well received but there was a, a few magazines were like yeah, it's so the binding is so expensive. Like, make it cheaper. You know, like, like, what are you doing? Um, here we go. Yeah, the new monthly magazine praised the story, but thought the book's physical excesses, the gilt edges, and expensive binding kept the price high, making it unavailable to the poor. <laughs> the review recommended that the tale should be printed on sheet paper and priced accordingly. So, but I, I Dickens seemed like he 
I, I wish I could know more about Dickens. I, I would love to have taken like a course on him now, especially after this. And um, so please chime in if, if you do know we'll, more. We'll talk to uh, Peter. Let us know what... <laughs> right, yeah. And um, he uh, he seemed to be very involved and, and, and like it, this was like his product. And so he, he, you know, wanted it to be presented well. He didn't want it to be printed cheaply because I think he kind of knew the story would be there. And I so he did do these. He would go around and read it. And I, I, I don't know how if he charged, but it did help the sales i know that so i'm, I'm guessing he would go do a i mean just kind of like today you'd go you'd like do read a, an abs- a reading excerpt from it an, an excerpt yeah and then you know copies that you have sell but he probably did the readings for free and stuff like that so and and that and it was very popular to to be read and, and things like that um and and uh dickens himself so i the most i've had kind of with dickens um other than just kind of in general knowing who he was uh, i i took i mentioned this before um patrick and al is a professor he he works with the great courses mm-hmm. company and he did a really cool course he does a ton of great courses on like um britain and uh, he did one on victorian britain and it's it was really nice and i listened to it and um he he talked about like writing and then and dickens was so integral with the, you know, Victorian Britain was such an um, influential period, and, and Queen Victoria herself was so influential. Uh, like, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think how one woman could could change the country so much. But Dickens was, it was like, definitely in that same part. He was, he was changing so much. He was such a master writer. He could write like it was nobody's business. And um, what I, I do remember Allett mentioning how one thing that uh, he did... Um, Dickens did was he would he would like name people these things and and Scrooge is such a great example of this like um you know it, it's not a word right you but know, it feels it, like, like it, one it does, it's but, a but description it, it, of it someone is, and you know exactly what he means it, when he says it a hundred percent and it actually entered the Oxford Dictionary to mean like an old miser like and then and even so so like he would name these people these like onomatopoeia or these words that had these feelings that like weren't words but you could tell. Any, 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 any kind well, of normal cratch it like it sounds learner. like some someone who's you know had a hard life too. And I yes. think isn't yes. cratch yeah. it like a word now too? I, I imagine, and and of course, um, bah humbug was was I, entered into, and it, and it, it okay. was used colloquially. I wanted afterwards. to ask you about that because we talked mm. about this is a future episode for everyone else, but we've already recorded it. I was thinking yes. this too. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Our, it's our next episode. Isn't I think it? it's our next one. Yeah. So it's a little it? spoiler. Um, yeah. So we're going to talk about um, the the creature of the bugbear, which is kind of like a phrase too. And I, I don't know. I, I'm guess it has to be like the word bug has an interesting etymology in um, uh, the British Islands. Um, it comes from like a Welsh stemming and, and stuff like that. It's like bugger. So I'm I'm thinking yeah because I mean, yeah you think of it and and it. At some point, like in the in the early medieval period, it was like um, scary, like fairies. Sure. But then later, it became like this bugs me, and so I, you know, you could kind of see this evolution. And then a humbug. The it sounds century. like it's even more like bothersome and annoying. Yeah, like yeah. it's humming at right. you too. Yeah. So I love it. I don't know. I I I'll try and see if I can find a connection um, later because yeah, we did record that already before we did this one. So even though it's gonna release later, that'll be fun. I'll, I'll see if I can mention something in the comments of that episode when once we uh, publish it. But yeah, it, anyway, that I just want to, for anyone who isn't like a, a Dickensian uh, master scholar, that that's that's kind of like it in a nutshell, a super nutshell for how he goes. Um, and he was a, a wonderful guy. I'll, a quick thing about him. He was born in 1812. He died in 1870. He was 58. Um, I, I pretty much mentioned what he was like. He was an avid writer. Um, 
he edited um, 15 novels, five novellas, hundreds of short, short, short stories and nonfiction articles, lectured, performed readings, indefatigable letter writer, and campaigned vigorously for children's rights, education, and social reforms. That was Wikipedia's thing about him in a nutshell. Um, he, he, yeah, he was, he was a, an amazing man of his time, uh, completely influenced um, writing. Uh, many contemporary writers, um, uh, like uh, Tolstoy... Um, even Mark Twain commented. If Mark Twain didn't like the story, um, they would call him that Christian writer. Um, some of the uh, Russian novelists. Um, would Wait, call Mark him that. Twain didn't uh, like the story. Mark Twain did not like the story. I can't remember what his exact word was, but he he said it didn't have like a soul or something he, like that. He is so I I, funny. I think, like we should do something with Twain. Like he is really, yeah, uh, very opinionated. That would be a good, <laughs> yeah. I I th- and I, I one criticism I saw was I think people think thought this was like for. Like, this was too unintellectual, maybe. Maybe. Although, I mean, of course, like, the the, the analysis on this story is insane. Especially, I, I really liked, enjoyed reading the debate on, like, how secular it is or isn't. I really enjoyed that. Um, just just little blurbs. I don't really have anything. They, you it's, know, it's just, it's, there's... They, so, apparently, before this, and I don't know how true this is because I didn't look into it, that people didn't really mm-hmm. care about Christmas as much. Like, it was sort of a yes. thing and then they after this it was next. like yeah. insane but yeah we have it, a very that, secular view of christmas now i mean there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who do and not have religion that are like that. that celebrate it oh my goodness yeah like go to japan right now and it's they love they love holidays there and and like everything is like christmas up you know i mean people people like celebrating things in general and i mean we could always have that fun i think it's a kind of a bit of a tired um fact that christmas was like a a pagan solstice event sure. and then like many other things was christianized to be like hey actually uh that pagan guy was you know like he he wants to talk to jesus actually so that's what actually happened so please <laughs> you know be christian now please i'm a medieval monk um so yeah to your point though queen victoria um like i was saying how dickens and victoria were in tandem this part of this revolution of, of england a cultural revolution um Victoria led she was I believe like a German descent um I think she spoke fluent German yeah um, I'm, wait, I'm quite her positive s- and there wait, was was it her sons that were the three kings um y- yes yeah uh, spoilers for World War One yes um <laughs> yeah she was the one who or grandsons had, right they were grandsons uh, yeah because we yeah, already talked about this in episode we yeah did. Mm-hmm. yeah so and, and yeah, this is when it was all yeah very interconnected and um uh, the like, you know, Germany wasn't Germany quite yet, but there was a lot of connection there. Like King George, um, her dad, I guess, the the uh, the George of the Revolution, um, had like uh, he was partly German, I believe. Anyway, um, she, she brought this. She and her husband, Prince Albert, brought the 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 tree uh, into the house, started decorating it. Fashion statement. Everyone loved it. Started doing it. Um, they also helped. And it wasn't them directly, but there were several books that were written that um, of old carols that because caroling was a thing a couple hundred years ago, but it had kind of died out and then it was coming back. And urbanization and industrialization was a big part of of tearing down Christmas. It seems like the old kind of countryside or village um, was was the place where you would do Christmas and, and maybe still do it where those old traditional values were. But as as industrialization came, it kind of went away. So Victoria brought it helped bring it back in tandem with this the caroling making a return 
and then Dickens writes a story in an industrial oppressed urban area where they're sitting around the table and basically doing what we do today, you know? So um, everyone had had a, an exact, like, map, <laughs> a, a, a routine in this book by Dickens, In a Christmas Carol, on how to celebrate Christmas, even though your life isn't that great and cholera is going to kill you probably <laughs> tomorrow. But, and you're, you know, super packed. But yes, that, that was it. So it was this, like, perfect storm to bring Christmas, and, and that really helped set the model of today. And I mean, this was this this started to go crazy. This went to the states. This started getting translated. It went everywhere. A lot of people absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, here we have the publication of Davies Gilbert's 1823 work, "Some Ancient Christmas Carols." Um, so that came out, and then another book, 1833 collection of Christmas carols, ancient and modern. So that so Christmas carols were starting to ramp up. This is tw- twenty and ten years before. So. Um, uh, yeah, this is wonderful, and, and, and of course, Victoria doing that. So, it, again, it was just this, like, wonderful, like, ramp-up into what we kind of know Christmas classically as, like, the Christmas that we see in A Christmas Carol is, like, the, the ultimate version of what's what's coming up. And then by, after the book is disseminated, it, it starts to take over England and then even America and other Western nations and stuff like that. So um, that's that's a lot of, like, the fun stuff in a, in a way. Uh, I mentioned how the book wasn't actually a huge financial success um, because of the expensive binding. Another thing was um, a group tried to uh, – another publishing company did, like, an unauthorized um, version that was, like, uh, summarized, paraphrased. And uh, he sued and won, but they were bankrupt and poor. That's why they were stealing people's work. <laughs> And so he basically had to pay the legal fees, so that took more out of what he made. I mean, obviously, I'm sure he's definitely made more than he thought he would have, but probably can't, you know, enjoy that as much. Um, but it was it was immediately put to the stage. Um, this this book also helped bring the, the term Merry Christmas out, which had been used in England in the 1500s, um, but this brought it kind of back. I mean, Happy Christmas is still commonly used, but Merry Christmas isn't super uncommon um, either in England, so uh, either one would work. No one would, would freak out. Um, I know, and I, I remember watching Harry Potter when I was a kid, and they say it in there, and I'm like, they say, Happy Christmas, what? But, um, yeah, Bah Humbug, um, Scrooge, uh, so many editions. Every sitcom in the world has had their episode, and several movie renditions of this. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life cartoon. is the story, basically. Yep. Um, and uh, it, it really, really fun. Um, he, he did several more stories um, after this that were very successful that just didn't quite stick around today. Lots of fun themes um, around the same of, you know, rights, workers' rights, social rights. Uh, and uh, it was really cool to see there was, like, um, many reports of a wave of charitable giving increased. Um, uh, the mode of Wales, the Queen of Norway, who was the daughter of King Edward VII, um, from 19, she was from 1905 to 1938. She uh, actually sent toys to um, uh, London's uh, like crippled children houses that they had, and she they would be signed with Tiny Tim's Love. Uh, and in 1867, an American businessman actually gave closed his factory on Christmas Day and gave every employee a turkey. So he he totally went um, Scrooge uh, on that, and and many other novelists, um, Robert Louis Stevenson, Thomas uh, Carlyle. Uh, they also did these big public kind of charitable acts um, afterwards and many others too. And, and there was a lot of writing. Every, I mean, everyone felt that it was the case, um, that, that, it, that this really helped change things and helped erase some of the ignorance that Dickens was hoping to. So he, he definitely succeeded in what he wanted to do for sure. 
and I, I it's it's really fun to see that. And I mean, watching the movie, you always feel that, you know. Um, the last thing I have, and I thought this was really fun, was in, in starting in the the 30s, the film versions um, started to pop out, and they were actually like different in the UK and the US. Really? I thought this was fun. Um, yeah, so Wikipedia says uh, British-made films showed a traditional telling, while the US-made works showing Cratchit uh, in, in a more central role. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, escaping the depression caused by European bankers and celebrating uh, the Christmas of the common man. In the 60s, Scrooge was sometimes portrayed as a Freudian figure wrestling with his past. And by the 80s, he was again set in a world of depression and economic uncertainty. So it looks like the story kind of evolves with the times. It has the same central themes, but it reflects what's going on in some cases. Yeah, it's almost as if like what is considered like miserly or villainous in that yeah in that time is is portrayed yeah yeah i love it i i thought that was really cool to to hear um to think about the retelling of a story being so moldable and it is i mean that's why it's been i mean hundreds of television shows cartoons movies have have done the story with their own formula with their cast of characters and stuff like that and um but it's fun to think of if you're just trying to recreate it it's it's like the what, what was that Romeo and Juliet with the guns in Chicago oh, or whatever. Oh well, yeah, yeah, it, like well, it was in yeah, California, was, but yeah, uh, it Romeo was really X Juliet good. or whatever. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they used the exact was, I, was same uh, dialogue that that Shakespeare had written right. or whatever. I mean, they followed the play right. exactly, but then yeah, it was yeah. just modern day. Um, yeah, that so guy I, I who that did that really is brilliant. Fun. I can't remember his name right now. Wasn't a guy Richie? No, no, no. He um he has similar takes though, like in the. The shots. Um, it was the same guy that did Moulin Rouge, I think. You're looking it up. Hold on, I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. Why isn't it up? He there? also Correct did um, Baz Luhrmann. Uh, ba- uh, Baz Baz Luhrmann. Ballroom. Australian film director. Strictly Ballroom was like his yeah. first movie. Okay. Yeah, it was it was Baz or Baz Luhrmann, and the screenplay was by him and. Uh, Craig Pierce. I'm almost positive he's the same person that did Moulin Rouge. I don't know. Um, I would believe it. I believe it. I, I would absolutely believe it. Um, oh yes, he did. He did. You, you, Cammy's right. She won the Jeopardy <laughs> question. Good job, Cammy. Well, they're um, so similar in the way they're shot, and then they have a lot of the same cast too. Like John Leguizamo's yeah, yeah. in it. I can't remember anybody else, but I do remember him being. Yeah. Oh, no, that's a good point. Uh, well, Cammy. This has been a nice long episode, so we'll let the people go so they can yeah, finally enjoy get back Christmas to their with their families. <laughs> right. Uh, we appreciate everyone here. Thanks for joining us on this uh, in South Carolina of an actually cold Christmas. Oh, very, yeah. very cold Christmas. No snow, though, ever. No. No. February. It's coming. <laughs> two, two more months, a month and a half. Uh, let us know what you think. And if you have any suggestions for any episodes we should talk about, any topics please let us know you can comment here directly or mystery at gmail.com join our facebook group too we love to hear from you all and yeah happy christmas merry christmas happy holidays happy christmas cool all right everyone well my wine's gone so cheers to you though and uh we will see you next time oh oh bah humbug, bah humbug. <laughs>